We have some hot takes for you this week on the Rail Splitter. Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, people listening to us on devices? And Rail Splitter Mary. Hey, Rail Splitters. So <clears throat> I apologize if I sound a little different this week. I'm kind of battling a cold a little bit, and I forgot to put a glass of water next to my little recording device. So we'll see how long this lasts. Um, so I had no idea what to name this week's episode uh, or what to call it. We kind of had a unique idea this week, and that is each of us brought something, I suppose, to the recording um, that we just wanted to get the other's take on, the other's opinion on. So uh, we're calling it Hot Takes just because I think that's something I heard on sports radio one time. Um, you can call it whatever you want, I suppose. Uh, but really, that was just kind of the point of this episode was each of the three of us are going to bring something that we were thinking about or that we came across that we just wanted to hear what the other two rail splitters had to say about. And then, of course, by extension, all of you who are listening, we'd love to hear what your takes are as well on social media or through email or however means you want to use to communicate with us what your thoughts on those topics are. But first, uh, we do like to share some uh, examples of Lincoln in the news. I didn't really see a whole lot of Lincoln in the news this week, but um, I had a thought, and this is maybe kind of a, a putting our toe in the water a little bit, I suppose, for the format of this week's episode. Uh, when Senator John McCain passed uh, this week and the reactions around him but from both parties um, reminded me quite a lot of um, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas, not that I would necessarily compare John McCain to Stephen Douglas, but it did uh, bring up for me um, how Senator Douglas was pretty much um, very widely respected, I guess, in the Senate, or at least he was widely very influential in the Senate in his time there. He was his uh, party's nominee for president in 1860, and he was clearly a rival of Lincoln's for much of Lincoln's political career from Springfield um, into the run to the White House in Washington. Um, and the example of Lincoln's humility in uh, meeting with Douglas as Douglas was um, actually dying and how they kind of had a, I don't know if I'd say friendship, but um, him visiting and, and speaking with Douglas for hours um, just not long before Douglas passed away um, kind of reminded me a little bit of how a lot of folks are treating John McCain. Um, very, um, very many rivals of his are speaking out about um, his character and who he was and that does take a little bit of humility. Uh, we didn't see nearly the humility like that in the White House this week, of course, but um, it did remind me a little bit of Lincoln and Douglas, um, especially uh, Obama's relationship with John McCain uh, as throughout his presidency was was very respectful for the most part, and um, they still were rivals to be sure, uh, but I just kind of thought of Lincoln a little bit um, in his relationship with Stephen Douglas. I don't know if that's something that other... Uh, Lincoln heads come up with or not, but that's where I, my mind kind of went. 
Uh, it made me think of, of Lincoln, too. Um, and there was one article I came across where uh, McCain is going to be lying in state, um, the Capitol. And the article mentioned Lincoln as having been one of the, you know, this honors being bestowed upon McCain. And it's been bestowed upon not too many individuals, but one of them was Abraham Lincoln. Um, so that was one article I came across where he was mentioned um, but yeah, the the humility thing did come up with me when I was reading about the the different things that were said about him, you know, and just how he seemed to be highly respected uh, by both Republicans and Democrats. Yeah, um, I thought. Well, the thing I thought was odd. I actually thought about like how people mourn Lincoln, and I thought maybe it could be an idea for the show. Um, and I think. McCain has gotten a, well, I, I think the general overall consensus is that, you know, he served his country, you know, he definitely had flaws, but, you you know, he always had the America interest at heart. But it was crazy, though. You go on Twitter, man, and there were some of these, like, um, people saying, well, don't forget this, he's a terrible person, we should never honor him, like taking stuff out of context um, and not truly giving it a real understanding. Um, and, and that just kind of made me think about, like, how some, where Lincoln met some of that when he passed away too. Um, so that, that's where I was thinking about it. Um, I wish I had the thought of Douglas. That'd be a much better thought to have thought about. <laughs> and then yeah. all these crazy, then all these crazies just like losing their mind. So um, I don't know. It's just bizarre because you got like, I think Lincoln saw this too when he passed, you know, you had Northerners who, some who, um, you know, you had, I think the most of the country was sad, but you still had some people in the North, you know, who saw it as, I don't know, a good thing necessarily, but who weren't necessarily sad. You know, you had people in the South who were actually happy. And I, I think you kind of see this with McCain. There's some in the Republican Party, you know, being in the White House, and then some people are running in Arizona, you know, kind of um, saying some negative things towards them. And then as well as, um, you know, I'll call them left, left crazies out there, you know, taking everything out of context, saying McCain's like um, this evil person. So... It made me think of that, so I wish I had a, uh, the more positive thought of Stephen Douglas and Lincoln hanging out. Right. But I did. Yeah, and I agree. <clears throat> I do think that um, I try to uh, not engage in that, I call it what aboutism, where you talk about somebody like, yeah, but what about this? Like, not to say that that should be ignored, but for, like, essentially you're kind of disproving your own point by saying, what about this meaning? You should judge the person solely on this thing and not the thing that you said. Yeah. Um, so I try to avoid that what aboutism, and there's quite a lot of that with McCain. Um, and there were certainly things that I wholeheartedly disagree with. I did not vote for him in 2008. Um, <clears throat> I, he did do quite, you know, I, I did see some posts that were like, man, <laughs> those are all factual things that make him look like a pretty nasty person um, when it came to a lot of different things like immigration and many, many things. However, insert any other uh, Republican senator, had it not been him, who would it have been, you know, had he had the policies that I 100% agree with, he probably never would have been elected, you know, take those things for what they are. Um, I do think that um, as much as I enjoyed the moment when he, the famous debate exchange where he called um, President Obama a decent family man, I always liked that moment. I think that's been overplayed, and I think it's, in many regards anti-Muslim, you know, like the woman claimed he was a Muslim and that's when he, McCain stepped in and said, no, 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 as if there was something wrong with that. Uh, but at any rate, John McCain, certainly an American hero. 
Um, his service should be honored, especially his military service. Um, I did, uh, I ran a race um, in uh, 2010. I ran the uh, uh, Rock and Roll Marathon in Phoenix. It was actually um, Phoenix and Scottsdale, whatever, Tempe. I think it went in a couple different cities. But anyway, um, John McCain was the person, he like fired the starting gun or whatever and gave a little speech. It was pretty cool. Um, and like he was up on a bridge. So like when we started, we ran and, you know, it was kind of neat just to, to see him in person and kind of give him a wave. He was waving at everybody. It was it was neat uh, to see somebody who, uh, especially with his military service, had sacrificed so much for um, for the country. So um, props to John McCain. Um, you know, rest in peace, brother, whatever you want to say. Um, but I do. Uh, it did remind me a little bit of Lincoln. Just really quickly, um, the the list is exceptionally surprisingly small of the people who have lain in state of all the dignitaries who have passed mm -hmm. on um, i'm looking at the list here um, john mccain in 2018 the most recent is actually another hero of mine both poli poli politically and from his service and that's daniel Inouye, who was a senator from hawaii who was actually um, i believe in the most decorated unit in all of world war ii um, he <clears throat> lost an arm in world war ii and served in the Senate until 2012. Um, kind of an underrated, uh, less known figure, I think. Not as known as he should be. He was laying in state, and before that, it goes all the way back to Gerald Ford, Ronald Reagan, um, Claude Pepper, who was a senator from Florida, an unknown soldier from Vietnam, Hubert Humphrey, who was a vice president and senator, Lyndon Johnson, J. Edgar Hoover, who, not that great of a person, uh, Everett Dick Dirksen, who uh, was a very famous senator from Illinois and has a wonderfully comical statue outside the Illinois Capitol if you're doing Springfield sites. Uh, Eisen, uh, Dwight Eisenhower, Herbert Hoover, Douglas MacArthur, John Kennedy. Then there was an un unknown soldiers from World War II and the Korean War. Uh, Robert Taft, who's another well-known senator, I believe from Ohio. Black Jack, John J. Pershing, uh, who was the commanding general of World War I. Uh, William Howard Taft, Warren Harding, the unknown soldier of world, from World War One, uh, George Dewey, who was an admiral of the Navy. This one's interesting. Pierre L'Enfant, who um, I believe he didn't he design? I think he designed Washington D.C. Mm -hmm. He passed away in 1825, but his remains were disinterred, and he was honored by laying in state um, before he was reinterred in Arlington. So he died in 1829 and laid in state in 1909. Uh, William McKinney, John Logan, who's another senator from Illinois, President Garfield, who was a Civil War general and president, uh, Vice President Henry Wilson, who was a vice president for Grant, and the first three people um, who were laid in state, uh, Henry Clay was the very first, who was a political hero of Abraham Lincoln's, the second was Abraham Lincoln himself, and the third was Thaddeus Stevens, who was the... Uh, Radical, so-called radical Republican who fought so hard for abolition as a representative from Pennsylvania. So it is at the Capitol. There are a lot of former presidents, although not all the former presidents, um, but a lot of um, congressmen and uh, senators. Um, not not a woman yet. Um, however, there is another honor. Apparently you can lay in state or lay in honor. To lay in honor, um, only four people have had that distinction. Most recently, Billy Graham. Before that, Rosa Parks, um, and before Rosa Parks, Jacob Chestnut and John Gibson, who were both killed at the Capitol in a shooting. So, interesting uh, list of folks. 
Um, you know who wasn't on that list? Uh, who who who's not on that Kunick, list? Kunick. Kunick. Uh, Buchanan. That's and true. that <laughs> That's true. Neither Buchanan nor Fillmore uh, was on that list. That is true. So, uh, John McCain laying state. I don't know if it was that today or it's happening very soon. Um, but uh, anyway, it's an interesting little trip down that lane. So, uh, this week we have, I'm calling it hot takes. You can call it whatever we want. Um, the episode with no name, however you want to word it. Uh, but each of us have brought just a little topic about Lincoln that we kind of wanted to hear what the other two had to say about. Um, Mary's actually volunteered to go first because Nick was kind enough to volunteer to go last before Mary had the opportunity to, or I had the opportunity to volunteer at all. Uh, so Mary, what topic or idea or concept or example of Lincoln or whatever have you brought for us this evening? Hey, mine's not overly deep, but one thing I get asked, um, frequently on Twitter and just, you know, people around town when they find out I like Lincoln, they'll say like, Oh, what's the one biography you want to, you would recommend about him. And, and that's one thing I've always struggled with is, is there just one definitive biography of Abraham Lincoln? And to me, I don't think there is because he's such a complex figure, but then it gets down to, it's like, Oh, well, which one do you recommend to them? Because then it comes down like, are you just getting into him? And, you know, how complex are you looking for as well? Um, so when I get asked what my favorite is, I could, it's hard for me to nail it down because sometimes it will change. Sometimes I'll read something else or it just depends on, you know, what the subject matter is because you've, you know, multi, you know, there's Burlingame's biography. And then there's the one you know, the, the one volume biographies by David Herbert and Ronald White. And then there's the, the just the topics themselves, like Lincoln's Melancholy, which deals with his depression, or um, the Abe and Fido, which the author, we, um, Matthew Aleppo, we had him on last week. Um, it, it's just, it's so hard to nail just one down. But, and, you know, and I don't know how you would do that. So I was wondering, what do you guys think? Like, do you think there's one definitive biography about him? Or do you think that... To study Lincoln and really get to know him, that uh, people should read a, a variety about him to get to know him and continue to learn about him. Yeah, real quick, I just um, uh, I, I never correct people. I hate doing that, but it's Matthew Algio. Algio, oh, oh, yeah. sorry, that's all right. Algio. I wouldn't have corrected you if it, you know Aleppo is probably not the most pleasant no, name to no, have for anybody. Sorry. So sorry about so that, sorry. Matthew. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, anyway, so sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, the, so this, this is a really good question. I'm glad you brought this up because I don't think that like there definitely is like are examples of, of poor Lincoln biographies and it's, it, it is intimidating if you're standing at a, in the biography section and saying like, Oh, I'd love to read a book about Abraham Lincoln. And then you see there's, I don't know, dozens, right? Possibly at any given bookstore. They always say that he's the most written about figure. There's more books written about him than about every figure in history other than Jesus. Um, I think is that Ford's theater has a, has a display where they've stacked books of Lincoln and it's like three gigantic, stories. Yeah. That's the gigantic book tree, which would be just, I, I want to go, I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. I've seen it like look through the window at it. Um, but never been into actually see it before. Right. So how do you pick, from all of those. And I think, um, and we talked about this a little bit with our Lincoln book club when we, 
had uh, David Kent's book on, um, where you really first have to define what you're looking for. Because if you're looking for a biography of Lincoln, I don't know if you're going to, you, you know, it, you got to get lucky, I suppose. But like, what are you looking for? Are you um, a Lincoln enthusiast or a Lincoln scholar even? Well, then you're going to want to go for something like Michael Burlingame's two-volume biography. Um, or really probably even Ronald White, I suppose, could kind of bridge those. If you don't know anything at all about Lincoln, David Kent's book is perfect. Um, mm -hmm. If you're um, if you've read a lot of history biographies, I think you would go with um, the Donald biography or Ronald White's um, because I do think, and this is not a knock on anybody, but if you read a lot of fiction, um, like because I read a lot of, well, I just read a lot of books. Reading fiction, if I if I read fiction for like three or four books in a row, it takes me a minute to read a biography you know like it's just because the narrative's different the writing is different you know like the chapter breakdowns are different like it's just like sometimes i really got to almost change my mindset a little bit and sometimes it's hard you know i'm like man i just can't get into this for some reason um because you kind of train i don't know what it is but you kind of kind of train train your eye train your mind to read that but if you're into histories and into biographies i think um white and donald are probably best um, if you like to read fiction and you just kind of are also interested in history or you like historic fiction um i you know maybe that's not for you i don't know i'm not trying to i don't think you know, like you know this is not judgment free zone i reading is reading and it's all great and it's all creating synapses in your brain and it's all very positive um but i would definitely recommend um if you're not used to reading biographies don't pick up Burlingame and expect to read a you know two million word multi-volume book on Lincoln um, <clears throat> if you're not used to you know, reading biography Donald's books probably seven or eight hundred pages White's book is probably seven or eight hundred pages you might want to be careful with that um, I've read multiple biographies of Lincoln um, I don't know why <laughs> but um, they're all different um, they're obviously the, the main details are the same, but, um, I do think that reading multiple biographies, there's value in that as well. Um, I have a hard time recommending books I haven't read. I have read all the ones I've just mentioned. Um, although I'm not hundred percent through volume two of Berlin games book. Um, but that I think is important. Who are you as a reader? Who is the audience? What are you looking for? As far as young adult works go, um, I think that's the most, the biggest, void in all of nonfiction is like accessible books that teenagers and part of it might be because teenagers don't like reading nonfiction but like a good biography that's not this kind of fits that YA young adult kind of audience because young adult fiction is like has come leaps and bounds I, I liked reading when I was a kid but the fiction now for kids for teen teens and you know um you know, from like, I don't know, ages 12 to maybe 20. It's amazing. It's so much better now. And then there's so much more of it. And it's so much more, so more representative. I haven't seen that quite that leap in the nonfiction world. Um, so I do think that that's a need. Although James Swanson has done some nice things with YA nonfiction. I think he, he, I, I think he's kind of creating a path and I love, love, love what he did with, um, writing Manhunt and, um, uh, the first one was Manhunt, I can't remember the other one. 
bloody crimes, manhunt and bloody crimes. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, he, bloody he wrote crime. parallel books for young adults and for adults, which I thought was great. And of course, Team of Rivals is also, I would categorize Team of Rivals, um, which is weird because it was kind of a mainstream book. It was like a New York Times bestseller. I, I would hypothesize that that is a book that was commonly purchased and not read <laughs> because not because it's not good because it is fantastic, but because I think it was like she was on, you know, Doris Kearns Goodwin is a very popular writer. She's on a lot of talk shows. A lot of people got into the concept of Team of Rivals. Um, and I don't think they realized that like it's a straight up bona fide history book. It is not, you know, designed as a New York Times bestseller page turning kind of book. Um, I'll never forget a former boss of Nick and mine used to always reference Team of Rivals because he thought he's like, oh, you know, Lincoln always he hired, you know, his you know his enemies to be on his team. Like, no, you just read the title, man. Like, I know you didn't read that book, you know. And he would bring it up all the time, and I'm like, I know you didn't read it because of the way you talk about it. But anyway, um, so anyway, I apologize for rambling there, but I think you really got to look at first. Go a little bit deeper than I'm looking for a Lincoln biography and say, like, what are you interested in? And if there's a specific area of Lincoln's life, there's a book for it. If you're looking for a biography of his life as a whole, what level are you looking for? You know, are you looking for a really intense history? Are you looking for, you know, just kind of to get a little bit better understanding of him as a person? I'm guessing if you've listened, if you're listening to this show, you're probably looking for a little bit more of an intense history book. Um, and in which case I would definitely recommend Ronald White, which is a little bit more recent, um, or David Herbert Donald, um, or certainly Team of Rivals. Team of Rivals is almost better, I think, as a second. After you've read Donald or White, then I would recommend Team of Rivals. No, that's perfect. Thank you, Jeremy, for that. And just getting back to the, the YA, um, there is actually a graphic novel about the Gettysburg Address. Yeah, and I, you know, I am overlooking. You're right. I am overlooking graphic novels because those have also. That's another group. That's another segment, though. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's those aren't even a thing. I don't feel at least I wasn't turned on to them when I was a kid, and now they're like amazing. They're like they were always amazing, but they're they're just more prolific now. There's just more of them. There's independent creators, and you don't have to be a Marvel mm -hmm. title. And there's just so much. It's just so much more accessible now. Um, and the graphic novel as a genre is, is definitely huge. I don't remember ever seeing that as a kid. Um, and that definitely, especially with reluctant readers, that would be certainly good. I would uh, argue for, uh, especially our listeners probably into Lincoln, read Lincoln himself. Um, I mean, there's a ton of different publications that or collections where they took a lot of his writings and they grouped that stuff together. Um, I have a set here, and that's what I really enjoy from the podcast is, you know, diving into that for some of our research episodes and looking at that stuff, you know, especially when it's just like a letter to speed. I mean, that stuff is, you know, there's no real agenda there. You know, he's just writing to somebody. Um, some of the letters to generals, I mean, there could be an agenda there because they're entertained, as we've talked about. Um, so I would really argue, on top of what you two have brought up, Read Lincoln yourself. I mean, some of those speeches, you know, I think everybody knows of the Cooper Union speech, but I don't know how many people have truly read it. Um, and I just like the way he structures stuff, too. Um, so the only thing I would add is go out there, read Lincoln, read Lincoln, um, see what he said. I mean, there's a ton of stuff from all the editorials that he wrote in papers to the letters that he wrote to 
uh, the telegrams, you know, that he took advantage of. And so I would have really encouraged people to do that. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, really good point, Nick. And I think I don't do enough of that. Um, and I think it's important to like those books that I mentioned, bring a lot of Lincoln's words in. I think it's important also for people to realize that, um, biographies change like history changes over time like the more recent history is probably more accurate unless you're looking solely at primary sources because they discover historians discover stuff all the time and the newer books bring in stuff that's newly discovered Um, i also think that uh, the vetting process is a lot more significant now and you know actual historians write um, a little bit more now in a way that's accessible and sold in bookstores um, you know, the Carl Sandburg um, works are, are good. I mean, they serve a very good purpose, and I think that they're, they're, they were great in their time and place. Um, I have not read them, so I don't want to comment too uh, specifically about it, but the level of scholarship just isn't quite the same as you're going to get from a more modern work just because of the ability for historians now to just have, they just have more to work with. Um, and, and as time goes by, I think, um, we can handle or at least address the myth of Lincoln a little bit more responsibly and accurately. Um, and I, and interestingly, as we talk about primary sources, one of the least reliable biographies that gained mainstream attention uh, was um, Herndon's word, you know, William Herndon's um, biography. He lived and worked with Lincoln for a long time and wrote a multi-volume biography of Lincoln. It's just not, I mean... A lot of the stories that are in that book, historians don't use in modern biographies because they just can't verify whether or not it actually happened. Um, so um, I think the work of historians, um, and that's that's why I have so much respect for those writers because you have to be a historian and a writer um, to expect that from, to, to be that good in both fields. is It's very difficult to do, um, but, but I do think um, specifically Lee Ronald White um, writes so well, but also does all the research too. So, um, yeah, Ronald White is the one that I do actually recommend for people that they're like, Oh, which one would you recommend first? And I always recommend White before reading Donald, definitely before reading Burlingame. I have yet to tackle Burlingame, mm-hmm. but Ronald White was just his analysis of his speeches, especially um, also his chapters or chapter on the Lincoln Douglas debates is one of the best I've read. And I used to, I remember reading that in Donald's book and just being kind of like, Oh, I'm not absorbing this at all. Like it's, I had to read it a few times. Um, But White's biography just, it was such a succinct analysis of the debates. Um, Yeah, I think that I think that's a great barometer for the quality of a Lincoln biography because the the Lincoln Douglas debates are extremely important, but also Mm -hmm. they're kind of boring. (laughs) Like they there's a there's a reason we haven't really done a a real episode on the like the actual content of the debates because like it is a really good example of mid nineteenth century politics. Like Lincoln spoke for an hour straight, followed by an hour and a half of a rebuttal followed by a half hour. Like this is not an exchange of any kind. And a lot of it was pretty dry and pretty wonky and far as far as policy. And like the, the record exists, you can read the actual transcripts of the debates and it's just, it's really difficult to convey the importance of it, convey what happened, but also make it 
interesting to read about so that the, the reader learns what those debates were were all about. Um, so I think that that's a really like if you if you're rating a biography, if you look at, all right, what did they say? You know, what does this biography say about the debates? How does it handle them? Because even Burlingame's books don't get real long winded about the debates because you know they talked a lot and it didn't say much. You know, politics sometimes never changes, but. Um, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that they weren't, you know, I, I don't mean boring, boring, but like, as far as like, you know, when you're when you're about to head into a, a civil war, those debates don't really stack up to a lot of the other speeches. In Lincoln yeah. I think for 2020, they should go back to that debate format. Oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine Trump speaking for an hour? Oh, my God. In a debate format? Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I want it. That'd be great. Get Bernie no. up there. You could just do Bernie yelling for an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that'd be epic. I think it was New Gingrich would always say, like, a, a Lincoln Douglas style debate. Like, he always would challenge people. Like, like, do you know what that is? It's like, it's terrible TV. No one wants to see that. Like, this generation can't handle that, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, it'd be terrible. It, it would be. But, you know, you got you to gotta know your stuff if you're going to talk that long. So. Well, shit, it might be better than what we saw the last debates. It, oh, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> that, that wasn't really much of a debate. I mean, anything, a would, circus. anything would be better than that, I think. Yeah, I, I, I try to block out 2016 other than the World <laughs> Series. Sorry, sorry, Mary. <laughs> um, so my uh, the the topic that I brought up is kind of similar. Um, it's also about books, um, in a way. Actually, not in a way. It's exactly about books. So Doris Kearns Goodwin, who wrote uh, Team of Rivals, is working, not even working, is publishing a new book. Uh, it's coming out next month um, called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And I wanted to get both of your take on what the book is kind of about and how she told about doing it. Now, granted, of course, we have not read this because we... We, we do not yet have enough media clout to get an advanced copy, uh, but um, she Doris Kearns Goodwin is actually going to be at the Lincoln Museum, I believe in October, and the tickets yeah, are, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, oh, I'm definitely going to this, because I got the mailing, because I remember the museum, and the tickets are really expensive, um, so I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to swing it. Um, however, uh, the, the book is, um, it's kind of similar, David McCullough kind of did a similar thing where um, he did like kind of a, an anthology type work. Well, this is kind of an anthology, um, again, called Leadership in Turbulent Times. And she has um, four different sections in this book that in, that really is a book about leadership. Uh, the four figures that she chose are Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and, and this is interesting to me, Lyndon Johnson, and then in parentheses in the little um, write-up, it says in civil rights. Mm-hmm. So it's talking about Johnson, but apparently she's only talking about his leadership with civil rights. Um, Dude, and that's like cheating. <laughs> I get, yeah, he's a good leader in this one specific way. Yeah. In other ways, not as much. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has kind of some rhetorical questions. Essentially, are leaders born or are they made? Where does ambition come from? How does adversity affect the growth of leadership? And does the man, or does, she says here, does the man make the times or do the times make the man? I would say person, but, um, so does the person make the times or does the time make the person? Which is a very interesting question, especially with regard to Lincoln. So I'm definitely looking forward to reading this book. My question for you is, 
what do you think it's going to be like? What are your thoughts on her choice of four, those four leaders? And I'll throw it out there. Perhaps, I mean, obviously, one of the reasons she chose those four folks is because she's written books on all four of those people. Those have been the subject of her research. But then, which leads to the question, why did she choose those four people? Um, she talks about there's no common pattern that describes the trajectory of leadership. Um, so what sets apart, you know, background abilities, temperament, these men shared a fierce ambition and deep-seated resilience that enabled them to surmount uncommon adversity. At their best, all four were guided by a sense of moral purpose. At moments of great challenge, they were able to summon their talents to enlarge the opportunities and lives of others. So I'm really interested in this book. What are your thoughts on the book in general and the fact that she chose these four particular men of all of the people in the world? She chose these four folks. What do you think? Who are the four again? Sorry. Uh, Abraham Lincoln... Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson. Okay. To be honest, not very interested. I like these leadership books. There's like a dime a dozen. You know, it's always kind of along the same premise. Uh, the one thing that does intrigue me, you know, they're four interesting guys um, for sure. So um, I don't know. I kind of feel like this is just an easy way to get a book out for her without doing a lot of additional research. Um, like she's already done all the research. Um, going back to your one question, I mean, all four of those guys did uh, face adversity before they became presidents. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, was sick a lot as a child. Franklin Roosevelt, polio. Um, Abraham Lincoln, you know, grew up in, uh, you know, in poor conditions, as did Lyndon Johnson. So maybe there's something there. And you see that, I mean, for a lot of presidents have come from um, – Know, tough backgrounds uh, and overcome those obstacles from, you know, Andrew Jackson, hell, even Miller Fillmore. Um, so, to be honest, I'm kind of not intrigued. I always kind of feel like there's a ton of these type of books out there, and I feel like somebody probably has done it better in a non-historical context. Um, I'm always more fascinated in, like, leaders that we don't know about. And, you know, these people who weren't, like, given this, or I don't know if they were given it, but, like, People who led in an area that you wouldn't necessarily consider leadership. That's more intriguing to me than this, I guess, to be really honest. I hope this didn't ruin our chance of getting Doris on uh, the show. So I apologize, DKG. Jeremy, do you have anything to say before oh, I go? No, go ahead. I was just going to. Oh, okay. okay. No, I'm just seething um, at Nick for. No, I'm kidding. um i'd just say like i probably will read it at some point i'm not you know i'm not like overly excited about it um but it's i mean i would like to see what she says about lincoln in it um as well as roosevelt uh, like theodore roosevelt and franklin roosevelt i'm really surprised by her choice of johnson though and i don't know as much about him but um just from what my my dad has told me about him because my dad lived through his was around during his presidency. It's not, I'm a little surprised by that. Um, I think it'll be knowing her, it'll be well-written. But I do agree with Nick in that it would be nice to know about leaders who aren't necessarily in these more famous leadership roles. Like she's picked all presidents. And to me, that kind of like, I I don't know if pigeonhole is the right word for it, but 
I would like to know, okay, like have an example of a president, have an example of someone else in another area that, that has had to step up and be a leader in turbulent times um, and faced hard times before that and gone through serious growth and kind of, I guess, do a comparison of that to show how in different situations, like in different leadership, in different leadership situations, how people can grow and change and lead through turbulent times, um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it, I think. Yeah, and I, <coughs> excuse me, um, I'm definitely, I'm going to read it, and I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, I always struggle, too, and I don't know if this is necessarily about leadership, because, you know, I've read books on leadership, and every now and then I get assigned to read books on leadership, because um, I have a small leadership role in the school that Nick and I work at. It's really challenging, and maybe I'm missing a point. Maybe this is a flaw in me, but reading books like that and translating that into, you know, I think people make a mistake to think like, well, I read that, you know, I read about how Abraham Lincoln led, and um, that's how I want to lead. I'm like, well, it, it's not really the same thing. Like, you know, you're not, you're, you're leading a team on a project, you know, or, you know, you're an engineer on a, on a whatever. You're not leading a country through a civil war. There's a difference. And I think when, I talk about when I'm leading in a small group, I like to yell, "What do you got to slows? Get this written!" <laughs> right, like, like I don't have like that's not the same thing. Like I, you know, there's not a firing McClellan decision that's gonna kind of come across my desk, you know. Like, um, however, I do take as much as I can from Lincoln. I prefer, I you know, I can take it from more biography and just learning about history in general. Um, I think that. It comes more from character than from leadership, you know, like I think people will just put this leadership in a bucket sometimes, like it's this separate thing that's apart from character or integrity or honesty or, you know, fortitude, whatever, however you want to call it, when I think they're all one and the same. Because, um, you know, positional authority, meaning like I have a title, doesn't, you know, doesn't mean much. I think it doesn't make a leader the title of president doesn't make a leader. So like, that's where I can kind of look at like, what is the difference between James Buchanan and Abraham Lincoln or Miller Fillmore and anyone else? Like why they had the same positional authority. Why was one more effective than the other? Um, and unfortunately it's very, very rarely does that translate directly, especially in a different time period to the current, current times. I do think, however, like there are lots of examples just now, like how Barack Obama leads versus how the current president leads like vast same positional authority vastly different um and i think it comes down to character more than what we're calling leadership um, because if you wanted to list like what makes a good leader like decisiveness and you know whatever else like yeah a lot of a lot of poor leaders had that too but um because they use their positional authority in a different way um i mean i do i do think um from a historic standpoint um the the whole um does did the times make the person or the person make the times? Like if Abraham Lincoln were a president in any other era, what would have been different? Those are fascinating conversations to have too. So I'm interested in it. Um, I'll read it and kind of give everybody a report. I'm sure there'll be a couple other listeners who will read it as well. I am a big Doris Kearns Goodwin fan. Um, I, say, I say that because I've read one of her books and seen her on a lot of Ken Burns documentaries, but she is great in Ken Burns baseball, like really, really good. Uh, she talks about uh, being a Brooklyn Dodgers fan in the 50s and 60s and 
Um, so that's how I first got into her, and then I read Team of Rivals. Uh, her other uh, books on the presidents are No Ordinary Time on the Roosevelts, uh, Franklin and Eleanor Roosevelt, that is, and The Bully Pulpit about Roosevelt, uh, T.R. and Taft. So that was the book. A good book. I read that. Oh, now now we like DKG. Now we're gonna mm. give her a little respect. <laughs> I just I never bad mouthed her books that I've read. Team of Rivals is great, and the Bully Pulpit is just almost as good. And she is great whenever I see her on the telly. I I just don't care to read her leadership book at this point, or whatever book title it's called at this moment. So I still talk to her on the podcast. I'm sure me and her will laugh it up when we make fun of Fillmore together. I have no doubt in my mind. So, yeah, a ticket to see her is like 150 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> like, hey, you want to come on our podcast? Wow. Maybe. You never know. So um, you can get standing room only for like 50 So if anybody goes, please let it, let me know how it is. Um, so I think it's like October 29th or something like that. So. so, Nick, what did you bring for us to chat about? Oh, God. Nothing. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right. I know what I'm going to talk about. Do you guys have any, like, historical artifacts tied to the Civil War or Lincoln currently in your house? Wow. Mm. I do not. No. So How much? Go ahead. So somewhat related to that, and this is kind of – I don't know if this is related to this or not, but for a project I'm working on at work, which is not Lincoln-related really at all, but um, I had to buy a membership to Ancestry.com because we're doing a little genealogical research with some alumni. Um, so I started looking at my family, and I went. Um, I was looking at my father's side of the family because I didn't know much about that side of the family. And I was able to trace it all the way back to someone from New York, like came out of New York in like the 1860s. And I found a service document from the Civil War for someone with, I guess it would be my great-great-grandfather's name, William H. Boyce. And I'm like, holy cow, that's my grandfather's name. He's buried right by Nick's house in that cemetery right in your neighborhood there, mm-hmm. which I never knew. Fascinating. I'm like, holy cow, I have a Civil War veteran who was buried less than a mile from where I rented my first apartment in Rockford. This is so cool. Well, then I did a little more research. And I found out that William H. Boyce died from his wounds in 1862, which put him, which was like 20 years before, or not 20 years, like 10 years before the next person in the lineage was born. So it wasn't the same William H. So I'm like, oh, I started like the 77th New York. They were in like every major battle. And I'm like, man, what a weird downer that was for me to be like, thought I thought I was... Thought I had a distant relative who fought in the Civil War in the 77th New York Infantry in, like, every major battle from Antietam and Gettysburg and, like, all it's cool stuff. And then I'm like, oh, man, nope. <laughs> it was a different William H. <laughs> like, why should I be disappointed in that? Like, what does it matter? <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, you know, we're all Americans. We all can claim a little bit of, you know, whatever lineage to that. So, like, that was kind of a weird, like, oh, like all of a sudden I'm like, this is so cool. I could have gone to the 77th New York Monument in Gettysburg because my great-great-grandfather had been there. And then I just, like, spent, like, ten more minutes researching it, and I was like, well, never mind. But they were both from New York. What are the odds? It's not a common last name. Anyway. That's why you don't do follow-up research. (laughs) Yeah, just just run uh, with it. You find what you want. You just stop. 
Yeah. And then you just, you know, you just go with it. Uh, well, back to the question. You guys are in luck because they are auctioning off a rare Abraham Lincoln pitcher where you probably have seen this one where Lincoln and Tad are in the picture and like Tad sitting on Lincoln's lap and they got yep. like a book. Yeah. Uh, the book's actually a photograph uh, album. Uh, when it was taken, Lincoln was worried though that people thought it would be a Bible. And then like the picture was taken out of, you know, um, out of context. I guess when he died, people actually did like Photoshop it. I don't know what it was called back in the day, but did doctor the photo to make it look like the Bible. Um, that picture was taken at Matthew Brady's studio, um, February 9th, 1864, although he didn't take it, which he didn't take a lot of the pictures he gets credit for, too. Um, but, um, yeah, how much, if money was not an issue for either of you, how much would you pay for this picture? <sighs> I don't know. I don't know how popular my answer is going to be. I don't, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't understand collection, like, I have things that mean a lot to me, you know what I mean, like, I really, I do, and I would never, like, I have things that were my kids and mine as a kid, and I have an Abraham Lincoln biography that I've mentioned on the show that was published in the very early 20th century that my grandmother gave me that I, I treasure, but that means something to me, like, I don't know, man, like, collecting things is a weird concept to me especially when like like it's kind of like people taking pictures with celebrities like they're why do you do that who cares like why are you taking a selfie with this person who's just trying to get a meal <laughs> i don't know so like it's it, to me like that if i had unlimited amounts of money i would want to donate it i suppose and i know it's like super self-righteous and i'm not trying to be that way um i love seeing things in museums and i like the indiana jones line that that belongs in a museum I get super nostalgic over that stuff. Like if I saw, when I saw the Gettysburg Address in Abraham Lincoln's own hand, moved to tears, like amazing. But I would never consider like, God, I really want that in my house. <laughs> I really want to invite people over a dinner party so I can be like, look at this thing I got. And I, don't, I mean, no disrespect for people who do that. I just don't see, I don't see why, like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't appeal to me personally. If you were in charge of a museum, would you pay whatever it would take to get it then, or no? I think so. I, w I mean, if that's my if that's what the collection was for, and that's what the museum was for, then yeah. So then we'd have to pay the. You'd be nine million short and have to auction it off later. I'm just joking. Nine million? I don't know. <laughs> I don't no, know. maybe I'm that's saying, not like... I was. I, that's not the money it was. I'm making a joke in regards to the Springfield. <coughs> the, yeah. the Lincoln Collection people. Yeah. Well, Mary, here's the good news. Boyce is out of the running, so that means uh, one less bidder. So that could lower your price. Okay. I think I would pay probably if money were no object. Um, $50,000, and I would donate it to a museum. Canadian or American? Uh, I'd have to get converted Canadian. Oh God, it's a lot of money. <laughs> with our dollars. Are you going American? Yeah. All right, we're going American. Fifty thousand American. Yeah, fifty thousand American. And but I would donate it to a museum. Um, the only thing that I would keep in my house is this one thing I'm looking for, and it's a first edition copy of Sherman's Memoirs. That's my holy grail that I'm looking for. What would so, you pay for that? For that, um, three fifty. Three hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, 
I don't have that kind of money. Oh, I'm never getting it. I'm never getting it. <laughs> so is that is that what the, what it goes for? Or? I I haven't really looked at what it goes for. Like I've heard it can be upwards of that much money, but that's for some reason that's just something I want as part of my book collection. A Lincoln print, a Lincoln print like that, I would want to see in a museum. Well, I I got bad news for you because it now belongs to some rich dude. Mm. Actually, it hasn't been sold yet. No, they're expecting a hundred thousand dollars. So that's what they're looking for. For it, I saw this in a newspaper article in Indiana. So today, when I was looking up some stuff, wow. So thought that was interesting. Um, I am also not a big collector. Like the only thing I have Civil War related is like just some shrapnel that I bought like when I was in Gettysburg from stuff that was shot like uh, I think it was an eight inch air gun that was shot just during like uh, practice. So, um, yeah, I'm also not a big collector. Like I don't get autographs at all. So to me, it just doesn't make sense. No, I'm not. A, I saw Tim Allen once at a ice cream shop. <laughs> I was really off topic. Tim Allen at an ice cream shop just outside my hometown. I did not approach him at all. Dude, I guarantee you none of our listeners thought we would drop Tim Allen's name in the episode. No, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the exact same way. It's I, That's always been weird to me. Like, mm. like, I, like, I'm in a couple Facebook groups for, like, bands that I like, and people are posting pictures all the time. Like, oh, I ran into so-and-so from the band. Like, man, they got, that's got to drive them nuts taking selfies with people. All day long, like just man, leave them alone. Anyway, I mean it's cool, like, but it's I don't know. I it just doesn't. I don't understand it. But unless yeah. it's a rail splitter fan. That, oh, but if you that, see us, stop yeah. us for oh, sure. Yeah, I would yeah, love to talk to you. Us. If I'm in Springfield and you're like, hey, are you? A, that would make my century. Like, please, that would be yeah. amazing. If you said, hey, are you one of? The, aren't you a rail splitter? Um, and, and if you do that and it's not one of us, definitely tell us the story because that'd be awesome too. Just don't lived, ask for my damn autograph. <laughs> I'm not giving it. I'm I would if, if I was at a Civil War reenactment and there was someone there um, portraying Sherman, I would get a picture with them. Yeah, that's uh, a little different though. Like that's kind of what they signed up for, you know? Like, I know, like exactly. Yeah. Like they're they I th- I think in the presenter world, like a Lincoln Lincoln presenter, a Sherman presenter, like like they're there for like kids taking like exactly, for a kid to come yeah. up and take pictures with them, like. Now, if they weren't in costume and I'm like, hey, man, you really look like Abraham Lincoln. Can I get a picture with you? That would be a little awkward. That's but if they're presenting, I think that that's kind of part of the that's part of the gig. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that I, don't, I think is fine. I think, it'd be, you know, it's kind of funny. But anyway. Um, so, yeah, we kind of that was just kind of an off the off the wall topic idea. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. We might do that from time to time just to kind of get some different perspectives and. We uh, had no idea what each other one was going to bring up, so that's why we were a little bit all over the place tonight. Uh, we do have a couple weekly features for you. The first one is of the People by the People, where we talk about a social media post that jumped out at us this week. Uh, Mary or Nick, do either of you have a of the people to share with us? I do. Go for it. Okay, so my post this week um, was something that Ford's Theater tweeted out a few days ago. Um, they had a link to an article um, written by Nancy F. Cohn, and she's a historian at Harvard Business School. And um, it's kind of funny, Jeremy, you brought up a leadership book, and that's what I'm bringing up. Um, so she's written a book called Forged in Crisis, 
and she looks at five different historical figures, including Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. And she explores how great leaders are made in difficult times and what diverse skills they have in order to prevail through. Um, so the article is called How to Lead Like Abraham Lincoln According to a Harvard Historian. And she goes over seven different skills that made Lincoln a good leader. They're obviously brief because she's going to go over them in more detail in her book. But um, I found the article really interesting to read um, just because it's about Lincoln, but also because it shows how like she just kind of took it and I took away from it some stuff that I was like, oh, OK, well, that makes sense to me. Um, you know, she mentions just having like three goals instead of like, you know, 10 goals and being more like succinct with what you're trying to get done. Um, and to me, it was just another example of how how timeless Lincoln is that we can still learn from him today and look at him and analyze him and um, take something positive and meaningful away from that. And um, I'm probably going to pick up her book because it sounds like it'll be um, an interesting read. And again, it's called Forged in Crisis. Excellent. Nick? Mine is actually something that was tweeted at uh, Civil War fangirl, um, Rail Splitter Mary. This is from Jen Rolling Art. Oh, yeah, my friend it Jen. Was, yeah, this please Sherman. So we, we, I don't know if she's written a graphic novel yet, but um, you basically have Sherman kind of drawn in a graphic novel mm-hmm. format, and he got like the the cloud of smoke in the background mm-hmm. as he looked very angry. So I saw that. I liked that the other day. So good work yeah. on the artwork. Um, very impressive. She she's a cool girl. She's um, she's I've actually asked her to do some like a thing like that for me, like commission her to do it. Oh, awesome! Um, cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and I brought one. This it's actually a couple week old, couple weeks old now. But we didn't get to this feature uh, last week because we had a guest on the show. Uh, but Dr. Bauer, who uh, is very active on the Facebook group and a fan of the show and a, a friend of the show, um, posted a great video. Um, I think I saw it a couple of places, but I'm, I'm like 99% sure Dr. Bauer also posted it um, of a shot from the Illinois State Fair down in Springfield. Uh, it's a short video where. They had presenters um, go down like one of the rides that kids go on, which is like one of those slides that like kind of like has bumps all the way down. And it was like a race between uh, Abraham Lincoln, Mary Lincoln, uh, Stephen Douglas. And I think there may have just been like a maybe a Civil War reenactor or something, but it was kind of cool. They all got in the spirit of the Illinois State Fair down in Springfield. Uh, and um, I, I won't spoil anything, but uh, I'll let you all guess what place Stephen A. Douglas came in in the uh, great slide, sliding, you know, those old ones when you were a kid and you would sit on a little, like... Uh, potato sack, right? Yes, potato sack. That's what I was looking for um, and rode down. So, uh, our This Week in Lincoln This Week uh, is a feature where we talk about where Lincoln shows up outside of the normal context of history. Um, I have one, if any of you did. Um, it's kind of a loose, loose-ish uh, This Week in Lincoln, but I believe it was on Monday, or maybe it was either Sunday or... Sunday or Monday, an Abraham Lincoln presenter threw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field. Uh, so I thought that was quite cool that um, Abraham Lincoln threw out the first pitch for a Cubs victory. Um, the Cubs who have won six in a row. Let me see here. We're recording this on Tuesday night. It is 10.29 p.m. And the Cubs are tied in extra innings, one-to-one, against the New York Mets. So maybe it'll be seven in a row. By the time this posts, maybe it'll be nine in a row. Who knows? Let's hope. Let's hope.
So, uh, any parting thoughts, uh, Mary or Nick? Well, Jeremy, thank you. Um, like kudos to you because you're not feeling the greatest, oh, no and I hope you feel better soon. So my voice sounds about ten times. Oh, no, no worries. My voice sounds about ten times worse than I actually feel. I feel pretty much fine. My voice barely held up. So, but thank you, Mary. Okay. Yeah, talk it. <laughs> and thank you, Nick. That's Rail Splitter Nick, everybody. Everybody's favorite Rail Splitter, trademark pending. So, for Mary and for Nick, I am Jeremy, thanking you for tuning in this week once again. We will be back at you next week with all new content. But until then, please remember to continue to walk the world with malice toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you next week.